Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Three Women's Three Ways for the show that sometimes tackles difficult topics. Sometimes we have a little fun and uh, we always get a lot of information. Today we are talking with a very special lady, Marilee McLean. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure to be on. Thank you, Heather. Marilee has life experience and professional experience um, that just meshes perfectly with our topic today. And we also have a friend with us whose life experience and professional experience also uh, blend nicely. Susie, uh, who is going to remain Susie, thank you for joining us. Hello, hello. Yeah. Um, What we're talking about today, uh, uh, less than a year ago, this show did a a month-long series on the problems in family court. And although these problems, um, in particular child custody, um, have garnered a lot of information, a lot of research, a lot of really wonderful research by people like Dr. Daniel Saunders and and others, um, the problem persists. It remains. It is extremely devastating. The problem that I'm talking about is a protective mother, a perfectly adequate mother, a perfectly good mother, who loses custody of her children to a father who oftentimes is an abusive father. And people who are not familiar with this go, well, that can't be. She must have done something wrong because courts don't just give away children and take away custody. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, The vast majority of people who divorce and separate end up deciding the fate of their children and working something out. But there's a small percentage. Um, one, one statistic from NOMAS uh, says 3.8% of the cases of divorcing parents, um, it's all right around 3.84%. Those are highly contentious situations, a, a very high percentage of which have domestic violence and abuse in them. And those are the cases that we're talking about, that they go to court and Something horrible happens within the court processes, within um, our society, that enables a child or children to actually be taken away from the custody of the mother and given to the father. Yes, please don't call me telling me that men are abused too. I know this, and I also know the statistics of how many times that happens. We're talking about the majority of the cases where this happens, where women, protective mothers and women, are losing their children and have lost their children. Marilee, this is a personal experience for you. Please just briefly tell us uh, what happened and what is a typical situation when this happens. Well, I, I say... I hear this all the time. These cases are rampant, and it's it's, uh, where a mother, in good faith, comes forward stating that her child is being sexually abused. Mostly these cases are sexual abuse cases, but they can be other abuse. But when the mother's trying to protect that child and comes in good faith to state what's happening to the child, these mothers are losing custody, and it's in rampant numbers. I get calls every day from every state in our nation and internationally from women going through this. Uh, these are good, loving mothers. Uh, they're they're educated. They're from every walk of life. Doesn't matter whether if they're wealthy or they're a doctor or a lawyer, they are losing their children to the abuser. 
Um, I know this readily because I actually was a mother that tried to protect my daughter in the court system and could not. It uh, didn't matter how much evidence I had, um, doctor's reports, police reports, um, therapist reports, every every avenue was, was gone through and should, she should have been protected and she wasn't. And most of these women are being jailed and gagged for trying to protect their children. They're um, losing all their rights to their children. They're ending up in supervised visits, um, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Most of these cases go on for years. Uh, they're financially depleted. And they're totally, like my book says, prosecuted but not silenced. A lot of them are coming out to speak, and they're fighting with everything they've got to protect their children. But that's a problem too, isn't it, Susie? I mean, judges are issuing gag orders against these mothers and and in some cases yeah. against the children. Absolutely. Um, you know, my child is, is not old enough to speak up yet, unfortunately. But, um, I mean, I've, I've been told by by my attorney, by everybody else, not to um, speak up about this at all, actually. Yeah, because you can be penalized. I mean, it, it will it works against you um, when you're trying to do that. And in many cases, I have heard that the judges are actually issuing formalized gag orders. You may not speak to the media. You may not speak to, you know, other people about what's going on here, um, which just yes. kind of perpetuates that whole system. So people that I speak to and mention this to often look at me very askance, like, oh, come on, she did something. Judges don't just take away children from good mothers. And I think that that is, I think that's the impression. I mean, I've spoken with lawyers uh, who will say, well, unless you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you're not going to lose your children. But in fact, women do, don't they? No, that that's such a myth, and that's such a far gone myth that they know that women that are bringing this forward, there's very low ratings of false allegations for that happening. It's like two percent, and what these women go through is an absolute nightmare. They lose everything they own. They lose that very child they've been trying to protect, and they are definitely not drug addicts, alcoholics, sick in any way. They're labeled with terms of like parental alienation syndrome, which we know is debunked and not approved by the AMA or the APA, which our court system in the U.S. should not be using at all, and they're still using it. In France, they just now depleted, uh, I mean, it's so debunked there, it's not allowed to be used. But we're still using it here, and if they aren't using PAS, they're using parental alienation, just the term PA, or they're using the mother's enmeshed, and they find all these, weird terms to take this mother away from those children's lives, which is the worst thing you can do as far as, um, you know, the damage it does to that child, the trauma it does to that child. And I'm saying for the women, these women are just, it, it's, it's the worst. I mean, I went through it. I know what it's like to go through it, and I listen to it every day, and it's the same pain over and over and they're doing everything in their power to change legislation, to um, bring this forward to the DA's office, um, to get to the media. And I know, for instance, in my losing my voice, in my case, um, I did go, I did have the media, and I had CNN International News cover my case, and they did probably an hour-long program on PAS. And Richard Gardner was on that program, and I had a gag order when I went on. 
and I had I, I was issued a gag order within the first two years of fighting my case, but I never listened to the gag order. And I and I know that women are afraid out there, but really this needs to get to the media. This needs to get to society so we can get the help we need because nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, and there, I think there is that persistent feeling that if you as a mother have lost your children, it's because you screwed up. So what's right. happening for these women who are losing their custody is they're not only you know, going through the anguish and, and the trauma of trying to fight for their children's safety, um, they're also going through the trauma of having everybody think, uh, whether they verbalize it or not, that, well, clearly you must have done something. Um, and so that whole blame thing gets piled on top of it. So it's a whole other show, and, and I do merely want to do another show on the latest research. I, I'm hoping to get some of the researchers on to talk about some of their latest researchers and research and findings on how, what is happening with courts and custody. Um, but the focus of the show, and we're just kind of laying some groundwork here, the focus of the show is that this is huge. I mean, the first Battered Mothers Conference was held in 2004, so as far back as 13 years ago, this was enough of a problem, uh, significant enough of a problem, that there was an actual actual conference, uh, a, a national conference on the problem, and it continues to go on. So, yes, this and is actually, a huge Heather, problem. That first, oh, yep. excuse me. That first battered no, go mothers ahead. conference started. That first battered mothers conference started way before that. It was like. Oh, did it really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our first one we had was like 1997. So, I mean, and and then there was an actually earlier than that they were having rallies at the Capitol in Washington D.C. and it was a mother's. It was started long, probably 10 years. Point being that this has been going on an awfully long time. 30 and years even, at least. Yeah, and even with the slow pace of change when it comes to the court systems, this has really reached a, a point where enough already. You know this. This should be a problem that most people are aware of, uh, whether they're within the court system or with, without. I believe it was Dr. Saunders' uh, research, or his report anyway, indicated that part of the reason that this is such a problem is because of the way court systems are designed to operate, um, where each issue is considered separately and where once something is decided, blah, 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 and, and we're not going to go into all of that. But I, I, I don't want to leave the impression that, that, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of mean-spirited people here. That's not necessarily the case. It's the way these domestic violence and cu child custody cases operate that are contrary to the traditional methodology used by courts. So you've got a system that was developed with a, a, a set of, of rules and procedures mm -hmm. that just don't seem to work in these situations, um, and yet trying to change things takes decades and decades. So, okay, we've outlined yeah. this problem, and, and we've established that it is a really clear problem. So what are we doing about it? Um, there's there's a lot of attempts, and, and I want to talk about some of those attempts. But first, if you'd like to call in, please join us. The phone number is 646-378-0430. It's 646-378-0430. If you don't want to call in but you'd like to leave a comment, I have the chat room open. You can go there uh, at the website and leave a comment or ask a question, and I'll be happy to share it with our guests. So, Marilee, what are yes. some of the efforts that have been attempted to take care of this problem? Susie, let's well, start with you. Um, what, what have you tried to do personally 
because of your situation? The very first thing that I did, and I mean, the very first thing that any person in this case should do is, is do an appeal, um, which is, of course, as we all know, is very um, expensive and uh, a very hard process. Um, so that was the first thing that I did. Um, it's nowhere finalized. Um, it's in the process, so I can't speak on, you know, how that all plays out. But um, the second thing is, um, you know, I went to, actually, I went to my um, senator yesterday to speak about the bill that we currently have um, that's been proposed, but nothing has really happened. With okay, it now, what state are you in, Susie? Can you say Indiana. that? or Indiana, yeah, Indiana. okay. So mm-hmm. you're trying to go to the state uh, legislature to get some sort of solution to this. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And was the legislator receptive to you? Did did he or she understand what this problem was, or did they just kind of poo-poo it? What kind of reception did you get? It was the worst reception that you could imagine. Um, I actually went in there overly prepared um, because I'm also doing um, – a paper on this through my school. So I had more than enough facts. Of course, I talked to Mira Lee prior to this and, and to other um, resources. Um, so I thought it was going to be just a friendly, you know, visit. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm pushing this, you know, bill that's very, very good for, you know, the fathers and the mothers. And um, it was just, you know, I felt like I was back in that seat where I was the crazy mother um, this doesn't happen in our courtrooms. Absolutely. How, you know, how is this possible? Um, I had um, comments like, well, I'd like to hear from the third party, you know, deciders, and I'd like to hear from the actual abusers that you're, these people that you're calling abusers that are winning the custody cases. I mean, it was more, um, it was, it was more, it was the most bizarre experience because I had all the statistics and I had all the, you know, groundwork laid out for this person. I brought in the books, and that's been written by the mothers. But at the very end, I was told that this is a very hard battle that you don't want to fight on your own. And it seems like it's just really you. So I don't want to see wow. you in our, in our house, you know, in our state house fighting this because this is, you know, almost like an embarrassing thing that you're just having to do by yourself. Get you know, he told me to get an organization behind me because this seems like just one personal issue. And I had numbers, you know, I was trying to get numbers for Mary Lee and I did get them. And I had these credible, credible sources. Um, you know, I had statistics and, and the Saunders study and it was just everything had such a big pushback. And the bill that I'm trying to push is equal parenting rights, physical equal parenting rights, and he told me that that bill was too radical. Wow. Miralee, is this typical? Um, you know, I, I've been, I, well, I lobbied for years in Washington, D.C., and, and I just recently uh, was doing legislation here in Colorado and had a very good experience with the senators and um some representatives here for legislation. So 
Um, but it is typical. What she's saying is um, that nobody wants to believe when a woman comes in that the story can possibly be true. Even though she had all the documentation or, you know, you have books like Gary Goldstein and Mohans and mine and, and educational tools out there to look at, they still want to turn their head towards it and not believe it. Now, I don't think you have such, I mean, this sounds pretty bad, but I, I know that Susie was with a um, man senator that was kind of old, old school, but I, I, the people I've dealt with have been like the women legislatures or the women senators, and, and they get it. And, but it does take time. This is a subject matter that you just don't go in and you say, this is what's happening to my child. This is what's happened. This is what's happened. You won't believe they did this. They did that. You can't do that. You have to go very slowly. You have to give them bits and pieces at a time. You have to give them the statistics like what Susie did. And, and if you've got a decent human being, they're going to listen to the problem because it's huge. And, and, and nobody's making this up. And it's time our society and our senators and all the people involved in this issue, the damage is being done nationwide to our children and the ACE study research you know, your, out your, there. Your point about the demeanor, um, I think that I, I think that's so significant, and I don't hear a lot of talk about that. Whether you're going to a court or whether you're going to a legislator, whether you're going to a committee to testify, mm-hmm. most of us, I think, our initial reaction is, well, this is such a huge thing. This is such an emotional thing. I need to show them how much this, or I just don't need to at least pretend that it's not emotional for me. But in fact, you do, don't you? Well, I, oh, yeah. I, I remember speaking with a, a, a family court judge who supposedly got domestic violence. That's, that's why she was speaking with me is, is she was, uh, you know, I, I searched bar associations and things like that, and supposedly this woman really got domestic violence. And I asked her, what, tell me, please, what a judge goes, what goes through a judge's mind when there are two people before her, one of whom has documented domestic violence in his background, one of whom does not, and the custody is given to the one with the documented domestic violence. And I said, please explain to me what goes through a judge's mind. And this woman who supposedly got it said to me, well, you have to understand, you have two people in front of you, and one is frazzled and overly emotional and just kind of out of control, and then the other one has it together. He's put together, and he, and he's kind of got uh, things under control. So, of course, we'll give custody of the children to him, because she yes, can't I, I manage anyone's life, let alone that. her own. There you was, know? Um, I was just, go ahead, Go ahead. No, I was just saying, I spoke with a professor yesterday at DU Law School who has been in domestic violence for years, and she's set up the whole system in New York City for domestic violence. It's Chris Machio. And she said to me that one of her best friends was this woman judge, and she studied domestic violence. She'd been involved in it for years. She was like a activist for domestic violence. And she said she had this case where the woman came in, beautiful woman, but, you know, polished but she you know she was a little out of character and the man was just this really well-groomed businessman and you just you were wondering what was going on with the two and um she was trying the woman was saying about how she was domestically abused and the judge said that she was totally on that father's side and then she's made one comment to do something with the father 
a decision she had made, and he threw the table in the courtroom. And she said, oh, my God, I've been trained. I knew all this stuff. I, you know, I've been through this for 20 years, and I'm on the bench, and I did not see through that man. Well, that's yeah. what I think is a huge problem, huge problem. Yeah. Well, what I, my point was the demeanor. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, and I've been through enough legislative hearings. I, I remember going to one where it was a pharmacist, and the, the, the he had a family-owned pharmacy for four generations, and the legislature had done something that was going to, that was risking him losing his pharmacy. Um, and he cried before the hearings. And, and, you know, I mean, it was a man cry. It wasn't a sob, 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 you know. Uh, but he was trying mm-hmm. to explain to him that this was his family-owned business, that this was, you know, gut-wrenching for him. And you could just see those legislators on that committee, one by one by one, just kind of shut down as soon as that man started showing emotion. And I've seen this yeah, time true. and time again. And we think that when we something is affecting us so deeply and so emotionally, why would we have to hide that? And yet I almost feel like, you know, women who go to court, uh, you know, who who go to legislature, I mean, it's almost like we have to have acting lessons to not project <laughs> the level of emotion that we are feeling. Can I, and can I just put in my two cents? Either. Yeah, the right to you. Yeah, go you ahead, Susie. You just said the acting less or the acting uh, put on some kind of act. It, it, that's how I felt since. The, the, the court decisions came out um, that I had to completely become an actress in all this and kind of play the system of calm and collected and nothing, you know, I'm sitting right next to my abuser and he has my daughter and it does not bother me at all. That's the type of attitude that, that I have to put on to survive. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And, if, and I then wanted... the women that don't put it out there, I mean, where they sh- shut down and they don't show emotion because they're afraid to show emotion, then they're not emotional enough. So it's, it's, yes. it's a catch-22 for them. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Exactly. It's a, it's a very touchy thing, uh, very uh, almost an impossible thing. Okay, so far we've talked about, you know, ways to handle this. We've talked about further court action. Well, that has its drawbacks because not everybody can afford further court action, and even if you do pursue further court action, you're still going before courts with their way of proceedings and their understandings of things. Um, we talked a little bit about political approaches, and, and uh, as Susie pointed out, you know that has varying levels of success, um, and political wheels deal, move very, very slowly. I think we have a caller on the line. I'm going to uh, click on. Um, Karen, is that you? Yes, I'm on. Karen, anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, great. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Karen Hoffer has come up with a third approach that she's working on, and I'm kind of excited about this. As a matter of fact, I'm uh, going to actually be taking this course. Dr. Hoffer um, has come up with an approach to try um, called Equal Access Advocates, and if I can be so presumptuous as to give some background for this, um, Many women, uh, as uh, one study, which I can't quote, so I probably shouldn't be giving the numbers, but it's an extremely high number, uh, as many as like 80% of women who have experienced domestic violence suffer from either acute anxiety, chronic depression, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, the Americans for Disabilities Act says that all three of those things qualify as a disability under the law. 
with that in mind, Dr. Huffer, what have you come up with? What what approach are you pursuing to handle this, to try and do something in this with this problem? Well, I introduced this at the Battered Mothers Custody Conference uh, several years ago. Robin Yamans and I, um, she's a lawyer in um, San Jose, proposed the idea that if schools have to accommodate students with disabilities to ensure that federal law is followed and that child gets equal treatment and gets an education, why don't the courts have to accommodate as well? Well, as I studied, and that was several years ago, uh, I discovered they do. They do have to. They just weren't. Well, I knew it wasn't working to go in and say, okay, he beat the woman, uh, okay, He's a coercive controller. He is not good for the children. Yes, we have broken bones and fractured skulls. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. And you can, yes, you can spend all your money and go back into court, but where do you have to go to solve the problem? Back into court with the same problems. Well, federal law supersedes state and local uh, rules and laws. So... If you use a federal, and this isn't just a federal law, the Americans with Disabilities Act is a mandate. That means the judge does not get discretion over whether you get accommodations or not. Some try and say they do, but when they do, they lose immunity. So it's a very powerful tool. So we don't go into court and talk about how mean somebody was or how bad they are for the children or any of that. We go in uh, through court administration confidentially and get accommodations. And the accommodations are such that they will alter how the, the climate of the court is moving. In other words, what I find is, yes, the sociopath comes in beautifully, beautifully dressed, calm, charming everybody, and yeah, perfect father. Here's frazzled mother, just dropped the kids off at school perhaps, uh, forgot half her stuff on the uh, kitchen table because she has PTSD, etc. But now we come in and we have gotten accommodation. And when the lawyer stands up to speak, and they have a few things that are pretty typical, one is they talk like used car salespeople. They get up and they're talking really fast and saying how bad that mother is. She's late picking the kids up and she this and she that. Wait a minute, Your Honor. We have an accommodation. All speech must be slowed in this courtroom to allow my client to be able to um, <laughs> make her proper notes. And when you slow a liar down, Amazing how it ruins their ability to really carry off the lie. The other game they play is when you come in, they'll say, Your Honor, before we get started, could I just make a, a, a few housekeeping comments? And those comments are designed to upset and to get my client symptomatic. 
So uh, one of the things that uh, I had a, a client with Tourette's syndrome, and he knew that if he could upset her, her mouth would pop off and she would say something inappropriate. So the first thing he would say is, the kids don't want to see her anymore, Your Honor. They don't love her. They're tired of her. They don't want to see her. And she, uh, her mouth opened, and she called the guy hamburger face. And um, so the judge gave her terminating sanctions, et cetera. We had to back that out and work that out. And we figured out what we have to do is show what this lawyer does. When he comes in, first we have to be the first ones to speak. So it has to be our motion. Then we stand up and we say, Your Honor, may we just have a few minutes? He's going to uh, stand up and he's going to say this, 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 and this, all for the purpose of causing my client to become symptomatic and exploit her disability. That now is a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and we give them the law. That federal law helps. And if you're not talking about all the things they're ready to dismiss you from, such as protecting your children, what a terrible mother, um, but you now have rights as a person with a disability. The other thing is they cannot use it against you. It cannot be spoken about in that courtroom unless you accuse the other side of causing the disability. They cannot even talk about it in the courtroom. And so if they say, well, she's crazy, she, you know, whatever. Um, Your Honor, may I remind you, this is protected under the Americans with Disabilities Act. It is not part of the adversarial proceeding and must not be talked about in public. And so it's a really good tool to use. Well, and Karen, if I can interrupt, um, you also are able to get accommodation as far as um, uh, oftentimes uh, how many times do women have to face their abuser in court? Actually, um, from oh. some of your literature, I read that that's a possibility, um. that you can require that they not be in the same room um, with their abuser. They must Is that not be, Absolutely. They can be sequestered in a separate room with video uh, and audio. They can be, um, uh, they can appear by distance. Uh, Most courts now have court call, which is a a telephone device that goes right into the courtroom, and they can appear from home with their advocate with them. Uh, The other thing is a real abuser, and I, I have a case like that now going on, a real abuser wants to be pro se and wants the right Mm. to question the woman eyeball to eyeball all the while giving all the body language and all of the little cues that will cause that person to become symptomatic because those were the cues that trouble's coming. You're going to get the heck kicked out of you. So, um, yes, we remove so them from like, all of those situations. Yeah. And, and uh, if I'm correct, also getting extra time 
Um, you know, I mean, since so many women are representing themselves pro se, um, they get a document and they have to try and figure out what to do with it without legal advice. And if they have extra time, they can do their research. They can perhaps solicit, imp- you know, input from people who have an idea. You know, just all of these different ideas. So that idea of this equal access advocates of of getting um, ADA Americans with Disabilities accommodation mm-hmm. for women who are going through this, I think, is also a, a a wonderful approach. So, uh, Marilee, have you had a chance to work with an equal access advocate? No, I haven't. Um, I know I know all about what Karen's doing, and I think it's great. Um, but I haven't had that. I, I do know a lot of women that have had the fathers or the husbands pro se and putting the woman on the witness stand and cross-examining her and, um, you know, right in their face. And it just is unbelievable that that's even allowed. But that's yeah. because the judges aren't looking at the domestic violence, and they just throw it out of court like it's not happening. Well, that goes back to that whole, uh, yes. you know, how courts are meant to operate. And if you go in and you say, well, you know, there was abuse, there was domestic violence on one particular day at the beginning, and then the judge says, no, I don't find that this particular documentation proves that, then because of the way they operate, uh, the court system operates, then you can't bring that issue up again ever during that case. Well, that that goes to a lack of training for the judges because most yeah. judges that are on the bench in family court aren't trained in domestic violence or new judges. Even if they're not new, uh, they have a mythological view of what's happening. And they, there's really no real training, just like Dr. Saunders' report states. There needs to be real training so they understand domestic violence. It isn't just because you have a black guy who's been beaten to a pulp. A lot of these women, it's coercive control, it's emotional abuse, and it goes much deeper. And that's what they well, do the not understand. That- yeah, and the thing that that I see, um, or that I have seen, is that um, with with so many of the judges, they think they get it. They really think they get it. Like yeah, the woman that judge that I spoke with, I mean, she really and and her colleagues thought she got it. She was recommended to me as somebody who really understands this issue, and clearly she didn't. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not doubting her motivation. I'm not doubting her interest, but she she didn't get it. You know, and yet the perception of all her colleagues that I had spoken with uh, and her professional organization is, yeah, she gets it. This is the woman you want to talk to because she gets it. Well, it's kind of like what um, Karen says, too, is that they're, they're a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath. You're, you're crossing a barrier of three different personality types going on there. And if they don't understand that manipulation and that control, judges aren't getting it. They're just not getting it. But it's not just the judges, it's all the ancillary personnel. You know, I mean, how many, you oh, know, well, psychologists yeah. no, no, and guardians ad litem and da da da. Oh my gosh, and yes, they yeah. take well, their little, you know, two hour course, and so now they understand domestic violence, but I don't <laughs> no. see it. Okay, no, so Karen, thank you so much for explaining that. And hey, Karen, uh, give the information for how yeah. somebody can contact if they're interested in becoming or accessing an equal access advocate. Well, one thing, Marilee, I happen to be in Colorado Springs at the moment, and so I think we, if you're in Denver, we really ought to get together. Um, My website is equalaccessadvocates.com, and all small letters, equalaccessadvocatesplural.com. You can uh, email me at legalabuse at gmail.com, and... uh, I can be reached at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, 
but it's a little more unwieldy and it's easier to go through my website. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Karen. Okay, so we've talked about continuing the legal, legal fight. We've talked about trying to initiate political action. We've talked about equal access advocates. What else is going on out there, Marilee? You're you're coming up with a, a, a program right now, are you not? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, I'm with MomsFightBack. Uh, it's uh, org. And what we're doing is it, it's working on a lot of different avenues to do with children. So um, they deal with bullying, sexting, and all that. But I'm handling the court watch side of it. So what it is is dealing with women that are in domestic violence relationships. Most of these cases are, you'll find that 70% of those contested custody cases are abuse cases. So we really do not want 50-50 because a lot of those cases are abuse cases. And that's automatically handing that abuser 50% of the time. And I know where Susie's coming from, and I'll talk to her more about that later. But, but the bottom line is what we've done is we, I'm training at DU Law School. We're going to train law, law students. Uh, how to court watch and watch for certain things that are going on in the courtrooms, like the behavior of a woman not being believed and the, the treatment of the smirks and the downplaying that goes on in the courtroom. Not just those little things, but the, the, for their First Amendment rights, that they have no civil rights, they have your humanity rights are denied in that courtroom. There's so much going on that society needs to know and that we need to change. So what we're doing is having them trained in that area. They'll go in on domestic violence, child abuse cases, sexual abuse cases, rape cases, whether they're criminal or civil, and in the family court. And then um, all that information is going to go into a research study that will go to the governor of Colorado and then will go to the media. So we're going to hit this really, really hard. And I think that, you know, everybody's working different avenues. And, like, when I speak at the Battered Mothers Conference every year, and I'll speak to those mothers and I'll say, take a look at the mother sitting next to you. Now look at her eyes because there's no one that will ever understand this kind of pain but another mother that's been through it. You guys got to stick together and you've got to fight. So where we had my day, we didn't have the Internet like they do today. So what I see a lot, I get really bomb. I'm getting calls and hit every day with women going through this with the same thing happening same thing happened in the courtroom where they, they, their humanity rights are denied, denied, their civil rights are being denied, they're losing their children to the abuser, and it's just unbelievable doing a lot of women, you'll see they'll do, um, they're pro se, they're, they're out of money, one thing, they're bankrupt, because you're ordered to pay child support, you're ordered to pay all court costs, you're ordered to shut up, you're gagged, you're threatened with jail, so these are the things that are really going on, and, and so... Um, I tell them, like, they'll send, they'll send their, like what um, Susie was doing, trying to get to the senator. They're all going different avenues. We're all, you know, like you've got Karen Hoffner doing what she's doing, which is incredible. It's a great avenue to go. You've got um, other organizations like uh, the Women's Coalition trying to get it out there and show them pictures of moms that have gone to jail and been gagged. Or you've got Goethe Franklin who's doing um, videos and showing the moms for an hour-long program showing what's happening in these cases. And yet it's all getting documented, but nothing real is happening until we can get to the, the media. That's just what I believe. I don't believe until the media hears these cases and really knows how much this is going on, are we going to change the system? So I think it's both. Well, let me, let, let, 
Let me tell you, um, I did a presentation a couple months ago to a group of women journalists back in Roanoke, Virginia, about reporting domestic violence in the newspaper Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, in the media. And I was absolutely heartened by their receptivity um, to to this issue. Um, So I think you're right. And one of the things that I want to do this year is to, um, to, to try and do more of educating media about this issue. Um, and so, uh, you know, I haven't coalesced the ideas of how I'm going to go doing that, but keep that in mind. That's, and if there's any way that I can, I can help, you know, I, I yeah, laugh about know, getting older. Um, one of the, one of the great things about getting older is that you start being a, less disingenuous about what you're good at and you just completely let go of the things that you aren't good at <laughs> instead of trying to become good at them. And one of the things that I'm good at is media. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I can do that. So keep it in mind if there's a way that I can help with that. And that's mine too. And, and let me know. Let me know what you find out, Heather, because that's what I work on daily. I really do. I push the media yeah. daily. I hit them with stories. I, I, and and in a, in a good way because it, it, you know, this takes a while to sink in. And there is an investigative team working on this right now, a big team. But there is, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to give out the information, but there is a team working on this. The bigger mainstream media. They're really hard to get to, but I got to yeah. them, and I was able to get my story out there, and I think it's important. Um, yeah. You know, so some, you in some women's cases, so that has backfired. You know, Marilyn, hold on oh, a second because right. we do have another caller, and so, caller, okay, are good. you there? <coughs> Hello, caller, are you there? Okay, I guess we lost our caller. Okay. Sorry, that per, whoever you were, caller, you were there for a long time, and I'm sorry I didn't get to you sooner. Um, but, yeah, I think that media is key here. Um, the good thing about media today is that so many people the – ba- the bad thing is that mainstream media has a, a responsibility, and you have to understand my undergraduate degree is in journalism, so, <laughs> you know, I speak from that standpoint. But, but mainstream journalists um, – have there's there's a system of accountability there's you know at, at least a cursory one um and they move more slowly um and they tend to be a little bit more entrenched than what we call the citizen media and all mm-hmm. of the blogs and all of the things you know that you the 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 plethora of of uh, outlets that you see on the internet, um, not a whole lot of them are professional journalists. A whole lot of them are just people who dis- who want to, you know, um, report and create news and that kind of thing. So you've got two approaches. You've got two avenues now. And I think that what you were saying, Marilee, is that that uh, online citizen journalism stuff is doing a pretty good job, but the mainstream stuff is not. Um, exactly. Is that, exactly. And yeah, then I do yeah. want to reiterate something is that. I'm not telling all mothers out there going through this to hit the media. I'm saying stay in, you know, you're, you're caught in the court system. Stay good. Do everything you're supposed to do. Follow all the rules. But when you've lost that child, I hate to tell you that you're, they're not very, I, I don't know any cases where they're coming back. You need to fight the other direction at that point. You can't be quiet. You can't be silent anymore. You know, they're silencing these mothers daily. And, the silencing is not helping. You're in the middle of your court case, yes, you don't go to the media. You've lost that child. You have every right to speak out about what's happening and to get that child home with every ounce of power that you can. Well, and you are in that situation. You hunker down and you fight for yourself. 
you fight for your child. And when that's all done and you're safe and your child is safe, then you can start joining the movement to help the others. But when it's exactly, you exactly. going through this, you have every right and well, every obligation to just hunker down and do for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, She's you know, everything we got her power to yeah. her child. Exactly. You, we've got our caller back. Let's see if, uh, caller, are you there? Um, I think I am. You, is this is, um, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, you're calling Three Women, Three Ways. We're talking about a crisis in family court with custody. Okay, this is uh, Patricia Mitchell. Merely just text me and ask me to um, call in. And I okay. am. Oh, okay. What's your first name? What's your first name? Patricia. And I'm Patricia Mitchell. Okay. Um, we're, um, I would ask you to hold the phone very close to your face because we're losing uh, audio on you, and it's very hard to uh, to hear you. So make sure that that phone is okay. directly in front of your mouth for us, if you could. Do you have something to contribute? Did you have a personal? Yes, much better. Did you have a personal okay. situation where child custody and the courts came into um, into your life? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I have. Well, oh, where do you begin? But anyway. I, I am the founder of Patricia's Children. It's a not-for-profit in regards to um, the abuses, bringing awareness to the abuses of um, CPS and family courts. Um, oh. I've been invited. I've been invited to speak uh, in front of um, the Michigan um, House of Representatives in regards to my case, and I also was invited to speak to the private governor's task force on child abuse and neglect. And just a few weeks ago, Ariana Huffington reached out to me asking me to be an advocate on the Huff Post. So I'm oh, wow. involved and it's uh quite extensive but I also do other stuff but uh but it's a con- it's very draining. But yes, I lost my child uh seventeen years ago. Um they I'm uh how can you say it? But um, I was very successful in uh, New York City. I was a fashion model and an actress. I was in all the society pages and um, lived in seven different countries. Um, I uh, an author of a child children's book when I was it's still a teenager that became number one in the state where I was from. Very involved, you know. Um, with my community, um, and I, um, under very unusual circumstances, was in a very vulnerable place uh, in a rural community and received a DUI, and I lost my child. I didn't know anyone in that, that town as in my support system, but the reason why I was in that town, as I mentioned, I was in a vulnerable um, state, and I was visiting uh, estranged family members, which was a very big mistake. So long story short, I lost my child to a the father who was um, com- a complete fraud. Uh, when I first met him, I met him in a, hi- in a hiatus out west, and he had several different names. I found out later before I even had the baby, I left him, but he followed me to this rural community 
I should have gone back to New York City where I had been living, but I didn't. I went back to a uh, went to a, a place where I had never lived and to a family member who I had not seen in over 10 years. And that was the disaster of it. Um, then, um, yeah, so he was living in a school bus. I took her from my cute little apartment I had in this rural community. And she was living in a school bus. School bus. Said, I mean, I'm a college graduate. went to the best school. I went to Colorado College. I went to uh, King's College for a while in the U.K. And here's a 10th grade dropout smokes pot every single day, drinks beer every single day, um, lives in a school bus with no electricity, no water, no running water, and they gave my child to him. Um, and he became very chummy with the um, CPS uh, girls. They were very much like him. They, they were not educated. They were... Um, uh, I don't know how to say it without using the bad words, but well, I, I, very, no, that's okay. Uh, I think you've kind of given us an. I think you've kind of given us an idea. You I said know. this was 17 years ago. Are you in touch yeah, with your child? Yeah, I still have not seen it. No, I have not. Yeah, I mean, I've tried. Well, and that's tried that's years. part of the problem with this. Yeah. yeah, that's that's part of the problem with this whole thing, isn't it, Marilee? That once that mm-hmm. relationship is broken, um, it's very hard to reestablish it. Um, so we're not. No, no, no. I, le- I, I legally could not see her. Yeah, yes, right, I understand right. that. Most cases, oh, but yeah. I, I really oh. believe that that um, these mothers that are in this situation, and where they legally block them from seeing their children, and and then they get back into court for a motion to have you know if, if they end up in supervised visits. I always tell the mom. Stay in those supervised visits. They're the most painful, horrific thing you can go through, and your child. But it maintains that relationship. And of the mothers that do that, they end up having that relationship with the child. And the ones that can't do that because they can't financially pay for the supervision, they can't make it, they've got PTSD so bad they can't survive, well, those relationships are pretty much severed. I, I, it's just, it's, they, they are destroying the mother-child bond, which we yeah. know by brain studies what that does to the children. We don't even have, there's so many studies out there that show that bond and how incredibly important it is. And, 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 they're, and they're destroying it. They're taking them out, these babies right out of these moms' arms. Mm-hmm. These are not yeah. drug addicts. I, I was speaking with a young woman a not too long ago in a rural community uh, near where I live in the Washington State area. And she was 18 years old. She um, uh, had a baby with a young, another teenage boy. Um, and when she asked for help financially, he filed for custody. And mm-hmm. um, the judge ended up making the decision that this three-month-old baby would spend one week with the father and one week with the mother. Yes. A three-month-old it's baby. Crazy. Kiss, you know, I mean, it's say goodbye to breastfeeding. You can't. You can't pump for a week, you know. I mean, so say goodbye to breastfeeding that everybody assumes and and considers, you know, healthiest for babies. Say goodbye to the bonding issues. I mean, a three-month-old baby, what on earth is this judge thinking? Uh, And yet that happens. I just want to say about Susie's case that, you know, here's a mom that they don't even label her. Now, most of these mothers out there, they're labeling with, um, you know, PAS, parental alienation syndrome, or they're too enmeshed in their children's lives, or they make up all these different terms. But she wasn't even labeled with anything, and she's lost her child. Susie, are you still on me? 
Yeah, yeah I'm still here. Yeah, I wasn't labeled, but I, I, I um, um, not from through the courts and not through the doctors, but but through my my sister and my mother, and I might, yeah. you might think, well, how could that have any pull, especially since they're not educated, and how I didn't have any, um, I had no no contact with them, but they insisted to the small town courts that they kept changing it though. They said that. Um, um, I don't know. They use some different terms, different mental illness terms. They don't even know what bipolar is. Um, then they said um, some other things. I, I'm not quite sure. They said it was because I was on drugs. But but these are words from my sister and my mother. So, but yeah. if you read any of the trans, all the transcripts and from the doctors and the therapists, they did not agree with her. Them and in my case, it was such a battle. My my sister was just had received this is very important information. My sister just had three weeks earlier before me going to this small rural town, had just uh, landed a job as a uh, CPS agent. It was really called the in their town. It was called um, Family First, and so she knew. So she basically abused her power. And 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 wow. just by her her well, you can insisting. ask Patricia. You yeah. can have them. Listen, I'm going to jump in here because stuff. I'm looking at the clock, yeah, sure. and we have only six minutes left. So I want to thank yeah. you okay. uh, for calling in. I appreciate your sharing sure. your story with us. I I really do appreciate that. But I want to jump back to uh, Marilee, and I want to jump back um, to Susie. Um, we, we've only got a few minutes left here. We've talked about, you know, the focus of the, of the program is what are we doing about this, and we've talked about, you know, the individual uh, legal battles. Uh, we've talked about trying to influence politics. We've talked about, you know, bringing in the Americans with Disabilities Act and, and coming up with advocates to help and approaching it that way. You're, you're uh, doing your court watch and uh, gathering data mm-hmm. and trying to influence things that way. We talked about influencing the media. What have we missed here, Marilee? What other approaches do we need to take or are people taking to address these issues? Well, I, I still go back to, and I stick with um, um, Barry Goldstein's side too, is that he states that the eight study research, Dr. Saunders' report, that stuff needs to stay on the forefront of this because the Safe Child Act, because all of those things will make it go through what needs to happen. Um, if we look at all the damage with the eight study research, adverse childhood reactions, the fact that how many of these kids are committing suicide or drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever, they have the studies to prove that. Why is that research not being used? Um, yeah. And then and then the, and the billions of dollars that it's costing taxpayers. And I don't go into the money side of this because it's so much more important than the money. But what I did say last week, I did a, a radio show for Women's E-News, and I said, you know, it's it's like it took them 20 years to listen to domestic violence. This is back in 1994 when I had a rally at the Capitol. And, it's t- and, and one of the professors or the attorneys that came to this rally, who, who was a real guru in women's rights and gender bias issues, stood on the Capitol steps and said, you know, it took them 20 years to listen to domestic violence. We don't have another 20 years for them to listen to this issue. And that's women that came in from all across the nation to that have lost their children the same as I had trying to protect them in the courts from being sexually abused. Now, this is what another, we're in 2017 and we have women marching all across the nation on different civil rights and rights for women. This is a huge issue. I, I say women, 
Equal pay? Are you kidding me? You're worried about equal pay? Yeah, it's important. Take your children and you'll see how much you care about equal pay because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're not getting them back. Women need to step in on this issue and fight for it, and so do the good men. Everybody needs to come forward. This is a huge issue. What it's only a certain percentage that it's happening to, if it can happen to us, it can happen to you. Yeah, it's true. And I think that for me, one of the things that I see is I see so many normal people, everyday people, who have not lived through this, who have the assumption that this isn't really happening. This really right. good, I, I know, it's crazy. good mothers don't really lose their children, and they just <laughs> don't believe it. They just don't believe it. Um, they they have a raised eyebrow thinking, yeah, well, she must have done something wrong. And uh, one of my friends was talking about a, a person who moved in next to her who had lost her children. And she said, well, I don't know. She said she didn't do anything wrong, but I don't know. There must have been something. There must have been something. And I tried to uh, talk about, well, maybe there wasn't. Um, and then a couple weeks later, this woman, my friend, called me back, and she said, well, um, I've, the, woman, the woman is a drinker. She's a drinker. And I said, as if that explained everything, and I said, was she a drinker before she lost her children? And she said, well, what difference does that make? I said, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Um, And I'm just seeing that disconnect. Um, Marilee, I know, I mean, resources are plentiful. Um, uh, let's, Let's toss out a couple of websites or phone numbers where if a woman is going through this where she wants if she wants information or if she just wants to get educated about what's going on here if a listener wants to become more educated where could they go where could they start to look for information well i'm going to i i would give out my website which is com. i have lots of articles i've written there my book is there, so it explains what's happening in these cases. It's an emotional story of what happens, but it goes into the research and the legal, which is really pertinent to all this stuff. So it can prepare that woman for where she's going, but it can also get her to the right people to get help. Then I would say there's lots of organizations out there, and I know Susie has some she can give out to, but um, you know, go to Mom's Fight Back and put your story on our blog. We are, we're getting 100,000 women together. We've already got 40,000. We're trying to get 100,000 women together this year on this issue, blogging on women's rights, what's happening with the children. And then um, there is like the California Protective Parents. There is um, Women's Coalition with uh, Cindy Dumas. There's, um, there's so many organizations. And I'm going to let Susie give you what she has because she's been out there researching, and I want to let her have her last okay, word in great. too. Okay, great. Quickly. Uh, what are some resources for some listeners out there? Uh, one thing I wanted to add that I did not know up until like a couple weeks ago that is really interesting that even my attorney didn't bring up. It's um, actually our constitutional right to be a parent. So mm-hmm. um, there's a okay. really good website. It's called Fix Family Court. Just Fix, F-I-X. Um, that talks about that. This, it's a great source for ex parte mothers, which is me and Marilee and you know, other mothers okay. know that it's, uh, it, we don't have enough money to have attorneys, and it's actually in our best interest to represent ourselves. Okay, give that website so, again, please. Sixfamilycourt.com. What, what's the name of that again, please? Six. Can you hear me? F-I-X? Yeah, okay. sixfamilycourt.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, great. I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're running out of time. Uh, I do close the show with a quote, and I have a real quick one from Maya Angelou. 
You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. And that is my hope, and I'm sure it is the hope of every woman out there when it comes to these child custody issues. Thank you so much for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Next week we have um, Dr. Sam Webster joining us. He's going to be talking about victim advocacy. What does that mean today? Um, How are we helping victims with advocacy issues today? So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.